know how excited I am tonight? I tell you, Pastor Stan, he be making some choices. He got me up here. Y'all, it's amazing. I love it. I love it. I honor my pastor and I love the staff. You guys, give them a hand for just being awesome. It's amazing. So when I think about my time here, I've been here for like 18 years, y'all, 18 years. And Pastor Stan has always seen purpose in me. He's always seen things in me. He saw things in me that I didn't even know I had. I went to him like a couple months ago. I was like, I really want to begin to speak. Do you see that gifting in me? And he was writing. He goes, what? He goes, yeah, we all saw that. Where have you been? I was like, come for me, Pastor Stan. Come on. So it's just been awesome to have this opportunity. And I love that we're in the book of James, you guys. We're in chapter 2 tonight, verses 1 through 13. And we're going to read shortly. So James is the half-brother of Jesus. We're going to review that. And I love when they bring up the fact that when Jesus was around, he didn't even believe in him. James was like, nah, I'm good. I mean, I'd be the same. My older brother, he's awesome. But if he told me he was the Messiah, I'm like, you on something, bro. You crazy. He's just, that's just not it. But it's amazing how his own brother had the turnaround and was able to like, no, he is the Messiah. He is the one. And so James is talking to the scattered churches that are outside of Jerusalem, and they're also under oppression. But the thing is this, as he's writing letters to churches all around the nation, all around the country, he wants to remind them that though you are outside of Jerusalem, remember the teachings of Jesus. And see, and this is a really big lesson for us today. No matter where we go or what we do, we have to remember the word of the Lord for our lives. James is calling us and te- really he's prodding us to look at how we live. Yeah. I'm going to be honest with y'all. This chapter is going to be a tough one. Do any of you guys have those friends that are just like really direct? You think they're rude, you know they love you, but they will tell you like it is. Anyone have those kind of friends? Yeah, be quiet, man. (laughs) Be quiet. (laughs) Yes, I am that friend, but you know that I love you, though. I'm going to tell you the truth in love. And so James is that person. James is like, I love you. I've done life with you, but now I'm going to share this hard truth with you. The church then was allowing the world to get into their way of how they treated others, and which was completely against the word of God. So let us read James 2, 1 through 13. That's my job. Okay. Oh, no, I'm I'm good. Look on the screen. (laughs) There you go. So my brothers and sisters and believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, you must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing gold rings and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you sit there or you stand there on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, Love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing what's right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. 
For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not commit murder. As if they're any better, I'm just saying. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. But speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen. So, how many of you guys have done the whole 23andMe DNA mouth swab kit? find the leaf thing into your ancestry thing. Yeah, a lot, awesome. How many of you have found family members that you're excited about? Anyone find anybody? I know if you did. How many of y'all found some you wish you didn't look for? <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying. In order for those kits to work, they match you by DNA. And I hope you know where I'm going with this. In order to be a part of the body of Christ, our DNA doesn't really matter, but the DNA of Jesus, of his blood, is what covers us and makes us one. The one thing we have to remember, that no matter where you go, that it is the blood of Jesus that unifies us. And I love Galatians where it says, Galatians 3, 2, that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. And it's really important to understand that because James is saying, I am not better than you. We're all siblings in Christ, and at the foot of the cross, there's only two levels. There's God, and then there's man. So whenever we engage in discrimination, or in racism, or in prejudice, we are now creating a caste system of who's better, who's worthy of my attention. And James is saying, that should not be among the body of Christ. So now he's talking about discrimination. And he says, suppose a man, wearing the gold ring and the fine clothes comes into your assembly. And if you show special attention to that man wearing fine clothes and says, sit at my feet. And the poor man says, stand over here or sit in the floor. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? That last line here always gets me. Because he's not talking about your outer actions. Now he's talking about your inward thoughts your motivations. What are you really believing on the inside that's now informing your outside? That's what he's going after here. So in Roman society, in order to show that you were super wealthy, you had to have rings all over your hands. I'm like, that's kind of gaudy, but whatever, they like that, you know? So, and the more rings, the better. Sometimes they even had places that you can go to rent these rings to show that you're wealthy, that you have all this money, and that you should be treated well. If we can see the falseness in that, because I'm wearing rings, I should be treated better. How do you know if I rented it or not? So all the women should know this. <laughs> there are websites called The Real Real or Rent the Runway where you can buy designer clothing for cheap to make yourself look like you've got something going on. I love those sites, but I can't really afford them. I'm just saying. So, And also every award show, celebrities are saying, I'm wearing this designer or that designer again and it attempts to show I'm worthy of your attention because I have money and I have wealth. So there were so many, and also during that time too, in the churches, they didn't meet in big spaces like this, they met in homes. So space was very limited. So as people were coming in to church and the house churches, if someone wealthy came in, the temptation is to say, oh, you, get out of the way. Let this rich person come and sit down. And the thing about it is this, we often think that 
oh, we don't do that anymore. That's not the way we are. But we do that every day. There are times in our lives, if we're honest with ourselves, that we prefer someone else over another for simply what they can do for us. And we're going to get into that. Our first point today is that favoritism is unchristian. It is not like Jesus. Because Christ treated everyone with dignity and honor. And we see all through scripture. Jesus ate with tax collectors. He gave time to children who did not have value. He met the woman at the well and he cast out seven demons out of Mary Magdalene. See, if we call ourselves Christian, then our faith and favoritism, they're incompatible. They do not mix. And we've got to take a hard look at our lives. How much influence of the world is getting inside of our character and the nature of God? See, we discriminate in so many different areas. Those that are wealthy, obviously those that are poor. If you have money, I want to get close to you because maybe I can strike a deal or being associated with you makes me look better. How about those that are physically fit and those that are not? Y'all, let me tell you this thing, it's so funny. So, <laughs> I was at the gym the other day, which my sister is making me go, thank you, I love you, because <laughs> you know I don't want to, but, and there's this girl that walks around, she's super fit, has all these muscles, and you can see whenever she walks, everyone's head just follows her. And I'm just like, what's going on? I was watching the crowd. I didn't know what they were looking at. So when I looked, I was like, oh, sis, okay. (laughs) She's fit. That's good. And then immediately in my head, I was like, ooh, how can I get to know her? And then I stopped and I was like, I don't want to know her. What am I doing? What's going on here? It's in that split second that we realized I was showing favoritism because by being associated with her, that I would get that same attention too. In these split seconds, our hearts show us who we are and what God is doing. There's also favorite discrimination between those that are old and young. Some old people do not like young people and vice versa. Some men hate women. There's feminism that's running rampant across the nation and there's warfare between the genders. And God is saying that should not be among us. And then also politically, conservatives and liberals, we know the warfare with that. So when we engage in this behavior, it really is showing the, um, the condition of our hearts. What are we trying to get from others? And so and, and when you look in the Bible, favoritism is also there too. So Rachel showed favoritism to Joseph and caused a sibling rivalry. Scary. Jacob showed favoritism to Joseph over his 11 brothers and got him put into jail sold into slavery because of favoritism. And David showed favoritism to his son Absalom, who was trying to kill him. And then when Absalom died, he mourned over him so badly that his army almost left him. And I tell you guys what, James is routing out the underlying motives behind our favoritism to show a deeper misjudgment in how we treat the poor and those that we deem to be less than who we are. See, discrimination is unreasonable. It simply makes no sense. So, let's look at another portion of James. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Oh, sorry, I'm going too fast. Who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? It makes no sense. So James is not saying that it's better to be wealthy 
and then bad to be poor. What he's pointing out is that the wealthy often have an inheritance that's given to them and that gives them automatic favor. But what he's saying about the poor, that their inheritance is the kingdom of God. The inheritance of the poor is the kingdom of God. Now let's think about this deeply. If I'm wealthy, I don't often have to depend on God because I got what I need. But if I don't have what I need, my full dependence and faith goes into the provider and I'm gonna cling to him to get what it is that I need. So not that anyone's faith is stronger or better, it's just different. So why would we discriminate against someone that may seem to be poor but has the faith of God to help us through anything? So I would encourage you, if you're rich, amen. If you're poor, go after the wealth of faith that has the kingdom of God inside of it for yourself. And so all I'm saying is this, money cannot solve everything. If I'm having trouble with my children, you better get me someone that can pray. If I'm having trouble with a disease in my body, I want someone who can seek God for me. If I'm having problems in my mind and it seems like the world is at war, I need someone that knows the peace of God that can lay hands on me and bring my mind back into peace. There are certain things that money cannot buy you, that you must have the kingdom of God in your life. And James is saying this is a culture that we have got to begin to walk out of. You guys, the world is looking for Jesus. He knows we have him. They know that we know him and they're coming to us and what are we giving the world? We cannot reflect to them what they're giving to us. We have to show who Jesus is. All I'm saying is, please have the kingdom of God in the bank in you because when I need it, I'm coming to make a withdrawal. So pray for me, y'all. So let's look at a few areas where we look at racism and discrimination. Does anyone know this story of Stanford University? This one gets me every time and I love it. It's awesome. So a couple came in that were dressed very simple, a faded dress and his suit was really, really thin because they just were people that looked poor. And so they went into the office of the president of Harvard to make an appointment. And his secretary looked at them up and down and was just like, mm, I'm good, y'all have a seat. She made them wait for over three hours to see the president because they weren't important to her. So after a while, she went over to the president and said, let's just try to get rid of them. So he came out, he addressed them, and was just like, hey, how are you? Basically, what do you want? And so they told him, we had a son who attended Harvard for a year, and he loved this school. But he died in an accident, and we want to do something to honor him here. And the president wasn't moved, and he was not touched. And he was like, lady... We're not gonna erect a building here because if we do everyone that went to Harvard that died, this place would look like a cemetery. And she said, no, we wanna invest. We wanna do something. We wanna give maybe like an educational wing or something. And he looked at her and said, lady, this entire place costs seven and a half million dollars to build. What can you do? And so she looked at her husband and they paused. And she said, and I love this line, is that all it costs to build a university? <laughs> And so she and her husband left for Palo Alto in California and they built Stanford University. I tell you what, if we continue to walk in racism, discrimination and favoritism, we will often miss out on the answers to our prayers. Because could it be that we're asking God, God, why aren't you answering my prayer? What's going on? Why aren't you, why aren't you listening to me? And God replies, well, I tried, but you didn't like the package that it came in. 
I'm telling you guys, this has happened to me over and over and over again. And I've learned to realize the very thing that I despise is actually carrying the answer to what it is that God is trying to do in my life. God is exposing our hearts, you guys. He's exposing our hearts and trying to bring us back into alignment with how we treat people and how we see them. Another person said, if it weren't for Christians, I'd be a Christian. Does anyone know who said that? It was Gandhi. We all know the works of Gandhi. We know that he's been a lawyer. He's been in civil rights movements. He's defended the poor. He engaged in, like, in nonviolent activities against the government and won. Gandhi had a huge following, not only in India, but also in South Africa and across the world from then until now. So while he was a practicing, um, I'm sorry, while he was a practicing Hindu, Christianity intrigued him. And as he was reading the Bible, he's like, I'm interested in this Jesus whom Christians worship and follow. He said, the one that they call Christ the Messiah. So he went to a church in India, and as he was walking in, the usher stopped him and said, you can't come in here. This is only for high caste Indians and for whites. Y'all, because of that rejection, he turned away and never looked at Christianity again. If we would pay attention to others, can you guys imagine with Gandhi's influence that maybe all of Asia would be Christians now instead of Hindu? The impact on that one person could have changed the entire trajectory of an entire continent. And so sometimes we would think that, okay, well, that's in India, that's over there, it doesn't even pertain to me. Well, let's look at America. From 1900 all the way to 1964 during segregation and integration, churches were not allowed to, for blacks and whites to worship together. And that really hasn't changed much. And as I was researching this, I was like, there's no possible way that we still do that. In 2002, according to the Equal Justice Initiative, 86% of American churches are completely segregated today. And we call ourselves believers. We call ourselves people, followers of the way. Y'all, this should not be so. And this is why we have to follow the royal law of love. The royal law of love says that you must love your neighbor as yourself then you are doing right. But what is this royal law? It says in Leviticus, now we're going from Old Testament and we're gonna go all the way through the New Testament. This one law is a foundation of so many things in scripture that we don't even realize how much God has woven love for one another, love for the community that comes through Jesus Christ. So do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among you, but love your neighbors as yourself I am the Lord. And in Romans 13, 9, the commandment says, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, and you shall not steal. You shall not covet, and whatever you um, command there may be is all summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. When you are saying that you love someone, when God is saying that he loves you, what you're really saying is this. We know Corinthians, love is patient, love is kind, right? What you're really saying is, I will be patient with you. I will be kind to you. I will not envy, I will not boast, I will not be proud, I will not dishonor others, I will not be self-seeking or easily angered, and it keeps on going. This is what we're saying when we're saying I love you to someone. I will keep no records of wrong, I will not delight in evil or re and rejoice with the truth. I will always protect, always trust, always hope for the best and persevere in long suffering. 
So let me tell you guys something. When it comes to favoritism, racism, and discrimination, that is against the law of love and it's against the heart of God. There comes a time when we have to examine ourselves and begin to repent for the way our, our hearts have been. So I want to review really quickly. Favoritism is unchristian. Discrimination is unreasonable. Keep the royal law of love. And the last point is live like you will be judged. When we stand before God, it matters how we treat people. We will not get away with ill treatment thinking, well, God, I worshiped. I did all this. I did that. God's like, and? But how did you treat my child? All of that matters. We are in the identity of Christ. So right now we're going to get ready to go into a moment, a dual moment here, one of repentance and then one of rededication to the law of love. God is asking us to love your neighbor as you love yourselves. But oftentimes I hear people say, well, I don't even love myself, so how can I love someone else? And this is very real because let me remind you guys of something. If you say you don't love yourself, God loves you. He knows every hair that is on your head or the ones that may have fallen out because of illness. He sees you. He knows you. He cares about you. And when he, when he looks at you, he nods in approval and he says, it is very good. And he is still choosing you today. So if you guys will stand with me, I want us to begin to really take the time to pray. Ooh, y'all, I had way more to go in there. Take the time to pray and to posture our hearts. Let's begin to close our eyes right now and ask God, where have I been prejudiced? Where have I discriminated? Who have I discriminated against? And God, forgive me. And then take the time to rededicate your heart in the love of God. And I'll pray, God, I repent for the sin of racism. I repent for the sin of favoritism and discrimination. God, I have looked at other people and thought I'm better than them or they can do something for me. God, it was not intentional. It just sort of kind of happened and I never checked my motives. But dear God, this day I repent before you and I ask you for forgiveness. Transform my heart. Heal this nature that's inside of me. God, and show me your way. Lord, I ask you right now and I rededicate my heart to you in the law of your love. Your love is violent. Your love is dangerous. You went to the cross and you died for my sin. I have sinned against you, but you went to the cross to die for me. Thank you. God, your love gives us identity. We are now aligned with you and we rededicate our hearts to loving our neighbor as ourselves and also loving you because you first loved us. In this moment, God, we surrender our hearts, our lives, and our minds to you and we welcome your presence. Transform us. Help us to do better and to love those that seem unlovable. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Thank you, guys.